Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White. Today, myself and Simon discussed England's performance against North Macedonia. Elsewhere, does the Everton story, along with the investigations into Manchester City and Chelsea, really add more weight to the argument that football needs an independent regulator? Former FA chairman David Bernstein gives us his take on that. Plus, we were joined in studio by the Times chief sports correspondent Matt Lawton and football agent Sky Andrew to discuss a Times investigation into unlicensed agents involving the transfer of Jermaine Defoe from Tottenham to Portsmouth in 2008. Did you watch England last night? Or um, I watched bits of it. It wasn't, wasn't the most... Nah. Exhilarating of experiences. You were almost there. If anyone gets stuck for words, it's never you and you almost were there. Yeah, I, I expected a... That's what Gareth's done to you. I expected a slightly more uh, compelling performance. But again, I'm not in the mindset that it's particularly a signpost for anything. Lots of players that won't be playing in starting 11 um, for the, uh, the, yeah, the main yeah, side in the European yeah. Championship. So it, to me, it just kind of is what it is. Well, it is what it is. As at Hamden on Sunday night, it was what it was. Yeah. Scotland, jo- Norway, 3-3. Three, three, and they, they all got their T-shirts on. We're on our way to Germany and the jobs are good in. So it was 1-1 out in North Macedonia. Um, that is it. Where are expectations amongst England fans now? This was Southgate post-match. Well, I was really pleased with the the mentality of the players. We completely controlled the game. To be behind when they'd only been in our penalty box twice felt, you know, really uh, hard to take. Um, But then we showed the composure to work our way back into the game, and you know, then you get the goal disallowed, and uh, you you think, okay, it's it's one of those nights. But we always knew that we would get a goal, and we were hopeful that we could continue to dominate as we were and but the numbers they had in and around the edge of the box and the fact that you often needed the extra touch because of the surface it was hard to to open those um, open those spaces up fair enough i mean difficult to disagree with anything gareth is seeing there um 
And in spite of maybe what, in some people's eyes, is a bit of a disappointment last night, Simon, they have gone unbeaten yeah. throughout the entire calendar year. So, as far as you, you're an England fan, I know, of, of, of course. course you are. I sat with you in Qatar and watched you, and, and you enjoyed the games, you wanted more. That's because you want England to win. Where, where are your expectations at the moment? Are they on the up, the closer we get to Germany? No, I expect them to win. My expectations are not on the up. I expect England to win the European Championships. There is no outstanding team in European football um, internationally. England have a, an array of players that are perfectly capable of doing damage to any opposition. It's on our toes. It's up to us. Yeah. Tennis parlance, it's on their racket. You know, it's up to it's up to England to go and take the tournament and do what they should have done um, in 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 the World Cup and in the European Championships, which is potentially win something. I'm not I'm not I'm not setting a standard that I'm going to use to whip people with if they don't achieve it. But my expectations are, irrespective of the last two games, is that England, with this group of players, with this opportunity, and with the opposition that they're against. I expect England to win this European Championship. Right, so e even if they get to the final, lose 3-2 to the French or, or well, Spain you, or whatever, you, you take, you're not having it. It must be an outright well, win. I, I think they if, must win the I trophy. if you're looking at an upward trajectory, every other nation that goes on the path that England have gone on, including France, started by building in various tournaments and ended up with a team that wins something. We need to be in the same space. We've got the array of talents. We've got everything that we should have yeah. around us to be competitive. Now, of course, you know, if you go into a tournament, all of a sudden Jude Bellingham's injured or Harry Kane's injured, you can price that into your thinking. You have to adjust to the circumstances. But given a landscape where all our best players are available mm. and we're in a tournament, I expect England to be damn straight winning this tournament. Right. I mean, I think that's a bit harsh from Liam and Derby this morning. Very simple. If England go ahead and win the Euros, it's in spite of Southgate, not because of him. Do you go with that? <laughs> Look, it can't be in spite of Southgate because he assembles the players. I understand the sentiment, which is there is a belief amongst... A lot of England fans, not all, that Southgate plays in a certain way, caution is, is, is his middle name, and that he leaves the handbrake on and we're not brave enough and, and doesn't make decisions at key times. And we've had this discussion on a number of occasions with a number of people, and it's difficult to refute even someone like me that didn't put on boots some of the arguments that I can make to the football people about Croatia against Italy and against France. And they're all steeped in some degree of sens sensible observation. And it does go towards the idea that Southgate is, in fact, probably one of the biggest assets that England have got, alongside being one of the biggest liabilities. <laughs> and the liability is that, is that there comes a moment where the manager steps in and the players are, are manoeuvred and manipulated by his decision-making processes. That's when Southgate will be the biggest liability or the biggest asset when it comes to a decision that is different to his default setting. Right. Um, of course, it was expected on Friday night that England would uh, put a few past uh, Malta in the process of winning. They only scored twice. It was expected last night they would go to North Macedonia and win and win quite comfortably. They ended up drawing. Kyle Walker reflected on that kind of expectation post-match. It's football. We win 8-0 against Malta. People say you should have won 8-0 against Malta. We come here and win 4-0 against North Macedonia. People say you should have. So... You, you can't really win. Uh, we, we, we won against Malta. We got three points on the board. We're in the, you know, the, the first pot. And we've done our job, what we set out to, which is qualify for a major tournament. So, listen, let's not be too dampened on the things. We know in there that we should be winning these games. But 
we're going into two you know massive games in the summer now uh, against good oppositions and then that's when you'll see the real test and the real what we can do you know on the field and he's right isn't he He's I, right yeah. about that. Yeah, I think. I mean, of course, he's right. I mean, if if England had won eight and nil, like he said, people would say the opposition wasn't up to much. When you don't do, there's some people's expectations you can never meet. That's the nature of football. That's the nature of creating expectations in people. That's the nature of football business. Full stop. You, yeah. you you're the dream factory. You promise people things, and if you don't deliver them, then people become disappointed. But it's only one thing worse than people not having expect having expectations is people having no expectation mm. and no interest. So the fact that we've got an engaged audience, the fact that we've got a moderately sensible media reaction to most of England's performances, albeit I've seen on the back pages of the papers that people are suggesting that Gareth Southgate's observations about being the number one team in the world is laughable. Yeah. Um, look, we we're unbeaten in the calendar year. We've gone through the Euros in an absolute stroll. We've done the job. What more is it you want? Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Mr Simon Jordan is alongside me. Um, Simon, very much enjoying your column in the mail on a weekly basis. Are you indeed? Yes, indeed. I am indeed. Uh, the other day you you did, you, 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 you uh, took it further, you got uh, extra column space if you like on Friday and you were talking about Everton's 10 point penalty being harsh ridiculously harsh I was yes and you, you finished with unfortunately for Everton they are a victim of their times mm. which begs the question does the Everton story along with the investigations into Manchester City and Chelsea really add more weight to the argument that football needs an independent regulator to take control I think this man is firmly in the camp that it does. Former FA chairman and backer of the independent regulator, David Bernstein, uh, joins us live. David, good morning to you. F first off, can I get your reaction, David? On, on Friday, we were surprised at uh, the extent of the punishment handed out to Everton. Ten points, were you? No, I wasn't. Um, I, I think that Everton have been found guilty of evading the rules, I use that word evading, I think, um, you know, carefully, um, by an independent commission. I think in a sort of a way, they're fortunate, because although 10 points sounds quite a lot, they're being born this season. Uh, obviously, obviously, can't be retrospective for obvious reasons, but were it retrospective, they would have been relegated. So that would have, that would have been uh, a really, really serious penalty. As it is, uh, they're very likely to... Survive given the given the nature of the other clubs at the bottom of the table, and the penalty I think is, yeah, you can argue, you can argue, it's like, like argue how many angels are on the head of a pin. You can argue for, forever about um, clubs that have been insolvent, and Portsmouth and so on and so forth. But all, all in all, uh, I think it's reasonable, and they may get away very lightly if they survive. David, I mean, you, 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 they probably will. You're, you're hugely experienced in the game. I've known you for years, former FA chairman, of course. The, uh, many many fans now of, of uh, the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea are getting in touch, and Simon sees the messages in front of him as I do, saying, all right, that was Everton. What now for us? Do, do you accept now, amongst the fan base of City and Chelsea, there will undoubtedly be a nervousness pervading at this time? Oh, I'm, I imagine there will. I mean, City are subject is it to 110 different charges. Um, I've no idea of the quality of those charges, but I'm sure they'll be nervous. And you know, fans always are. But frankly, um, fans aren't the best judge of this. You know, all all, all of us as fans 
protects our clubs and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're hardly independent in these things. And I think um, it's the job of independent panels, independent people to come to conclusions about about these matters. Um, you know, I feel sorry for any, for any fans who find themselves supporting a club who could be hit with a massive penalty, but c'est la vie. Yeah, I mean, it adds more weight, or does it, that uh, the game needs this independent regulator? You would you would argue, David, that it does. Well, I've been arguing it for years that it does, and my me and a, and a, a group um, with Gary Neville and Lord Murphy King and so on produced a manifesto for change, which I think is the is being underpinning the basis for the fan-led review and things that have happened subsequently. So I do think the unfortunately. The game is you know, generally governed by vested interests, and we know the power of the Premier League. We know the power of the, the big clubs in the Premier League, particularly. And uh, yes, I've advocated independence for a long while. I think um, uh, events show the need for an independent regulator. Yes. Simon, when you said that Everton were, quotes, a victim of their times, is that what you meant regarding the regulator just around the corner? Um Yes, I think um, that there is an element of a tilt and nod to the various footballing authorities looking at the the length and breadth of the authorities that may be vested and seeded into the independent regulator and trying to make sure, as the EFL have done, that they've got their house in order so a lot of these authorities don't need to land in the hands of an independent regulator or the scope of the independent regulator is not as wide as perhaps people like David may like. There is an irony about David coming on and talking about the independent regulator when really and truly the FA were the de facto regulator of the game and David was chairman of the FA. So there is an irony about that that I find a little difficult to understand why the FA exists. Simon, Simon, I was a very frustrated chairman of the FA who tried to introduce reform, managed to do a little bit but nowhere near as much as uh, was needed, and I saw for the inside what was needed. Um, and I wish I could have done more, but in the three years that I was chair, you know, I did my bit, but it wasn't enough. And, uh, <laughs> and I, yeah. uh, No, I, David, I, 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 know, I full well know the challenges that you guys have, but that's the, that's the nature of the beast. You are either effective in that environment or you're not. And, I, and I've read this 164-page um, report, this fan-led review, and my, my views have changed slightly because I think football deserves it. I think football deserves to have an independent regulator, not because I think an independent regulator is a good thing, but because it refuses to accept the challenges that it has. The Premier League won't negotiate properly, isn't being forced to negotiate properly, so the only way you're going to pull certain levers is by threatening them with a Trojan horse like an independent regulator. Exactly, Simon. You put it very, as always, put it very well. Um, I agree with you. I think the regulator will keep, will, will, will to some extent, keep the football authorities honest. You know, there'll be this sort of a bit of a sort of Damocles hanging over. Hopefully, uh, we're, I think we're finding even the threat of a regulator is maybe causing some improvement in some of these things, and maybe the football Premier League will be a bit more reasonable and generous in its negotiations because it knows if it's not. You know, there's there's something that could some effective um, action that could be taken. Do you worry, David? Because I worry that once you've once you are able to square the circle of distribution, if Rick Parry and the EFL are able to find a vehicle and a mechanism, and if it's the independent regulator to redistribute, 
alongside better governance once the redistribution has been made. And let's say 20%, which is the figure I think is about right for the EFL to have, and okay. their and their distribution mechanisms to slightly change as well, so it's fairly reflected down the pyramid. Once you've got that, and then you've put governments in place, why do we need a, a quango like an independent regulator once you've squared the most important circles, which is the financial distribution and the governance there and afterwards? Well, I, I, I think so. Number one, actually, you know, we have said that were the FA the effective governing body that they should be, yep. the regulator may not be necessary. Indeed. And if, if the FA could fundamentally reform the FA Council and all the various stuff yep. that's needed, yep. it may be that the regulator could pass back authority right. in years to come. I've always, I've, I've always maintained that. But this Good is point. an ongoing issue, isn't it? And you know, the, 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 the questions of fit and proper person, licensing of clubs, protecting the fans, ensuring that stadia are not taken away from their clubs, as we've seen in some instances and so on. All these things won't finish you know, next year or the year after. They're ongoing. So we need, it, we need a strong governing independent, that's the word. Independent, independent body, yeah. Which maybe may the FA could be, but it's certainly not at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Um, David, with the regulator as well, many people asking me to ask you this morning, the arrival of the regulator, how far will it go to prevent situations like the one we're discussing about Everton, uh, the ones we may end up discussing about Chelsea and Manchester City? Oh. How far will the arrival of a regulator go to preventing these situations happening again? Well, there's nothing. No, no, no. Now, I wonder. Can I just go back one stage and introduce something a little bit, perhaps a little bit controversial? Go on. That, that I'm, I'm, I'm in favour of the regulations, as you well, as you well know, and I've been involved, you know, involved in this for some time. But actually, I'm, I'm not in favour of the financial fair play rules as they are presently put together. And I'll give you two, I think, very good reasons why I'm not. I'm, I'm not to say, I'm not to say that. We don't need proper control, but I think it should come in a different way. The two reasons are, the number one, it's avoidable. If you, one can get round it, as we've seen, and we may see the future with other cases, you can get round these regulations. And the bigger the club and the more international the club, the easier it is to get round them. You know, payments made to players or managers overseas, yeah, yeah. all sorts of things which is very, very difficult to control. And secondly, I think it's, anti, it's anti-competitive. Because what it really means is that if a smaller club gets serious finance, serious long-term finance, such as Blackburn Rovers did, uh, you know, the days of uh, Jack, it would be much more difficult to accelerate the development of a smaller club. And therefore, what this really does, it protects the Quango, it protects the big clubs from competition, from... And even, actually, in the case of a club like Newcastle, it might prevent it developing as rapidly as Manchester City have done and as it would like to do, which I think really has the effects of, of um, stunting competition and, you know, and, and keeping, you know, keeping success in the hands of the existing big clubs with big impact. So wouldn't the amendment so, to that, David, be that if you buy a football club, you get a limited amount of time where capital investment in the football club can supersede certain financial fair play governance? So that argument could be circumnavigated by that. Really much so, Simon. I, I think the control should be around cash flow, proper yep. capitalisation, yep. long-term financial sustainability. Um, you know, because the last thing we want is clubs overspending, you know, clearly. But if, if, if for example, um, I don't know, 
any any time. Your your you know your 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 club. If if it if if it suddenly came into huge wealth and it could show that over a three or four year period it had firm capital controls in place, it had cash flow that was sustainable and so on, you should be able to really accelerate your push for for growth if if you had that support and backing and it was capital, not dodgy loans or anything like that. <laughs> but that <laughs> still puts okay. you at a behest of other people, doesn't it? I mean, you would have yeah. looked at that. You'd looked at Mel, Mel Morris at Derby County, David, a man worth 750 million quid and looked at his cash flows for Derby County, looked at his means behind it as a sustainable businessman and never been able to forecast that all of a sudden Derby County were going to go into free fall because its owner changed its direction. Unless you put money on deposit and secure well, it. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, th- I think there would have to be, yes, absolutely. You, you'd have to have cast iron uh, security to mm, yeah. do what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm suggesting. Yeah. David, David, before you go, who should chair the new independent regulator? Who should chair? <laughs> I have no idea. Someone with someone with vagrant experience who, who understands the game, but who is seriously independent. I think the independent part of this is absolutely crucial. Whether it should be a lawyer or whatever, I don't. I, I don't really know. It's a very, it's a very important job, moment to to uh, choose this person. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. world's most dangerous download outspoken with white and jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station talk sport simon and myself are joined here in studio by a man we know well the times chief sports correspondent matt lawton is with us and alongside matt is a longtime agent in the world of football sky andrew so this lunchtime we bring you a story breaking in the last few moments which centres around the use of unlicensed agents. The man across the story is a man I've just mentioned, the Times Chief Sports Correspondent, Matt Lawton, who's been involved in this story. It centres around one particular transfer dating back to 2008. 
when Jermaine Defoe moved from Tottenham to Portsmouth. Sky, good to see you, but first, Matt. Matt, can you give us the background to this? Yeah, the background is that in uh, January 2008, Jermaine Defoe, at the time an England footballer, moved from Tottenham to Portsmouth. Uh, and at that time, he had um, a representation contract with Sky Andrew, who's sitting here next to me, who's agreed to come in and and talk to us as well. He, there's not much he can say because uh, the processes that were involved in this are confidential. But yeah, yeah. but it led to an arbitration because uh, Sky uh, was of the view that Jermaine Defoe was in breach of his contract because a footballer can not use his agent if he does a if he does a if he basically does the negotiation himself but the view was that he'd used uh, a guy called Stuart Peters a, a, a licensed agent and uh, the assistance also of Mitchell Thomas the ex-footballer ex-Tottenham and West Ham footballer who was an unlicensed agent so there was an arbitration a private arbitration and and that there, there was some reporting around this at the time but we don't get to hear in these arbitrations what's happened. We don't get to hear the outcome or anything. Actually, what we now know is that the outcome of this was that Sky won the case um, and the panel of three QCs at the time, Casey's now obviously, but the panel concluded that Mitchell Thomas, an unlicensed agent, had been a central figure in this in this negotiation. Well, and had done the deal. Had, had basically helped broker the deal and had been involved in dealing with Tottenham, with Daniel Levy, the Tottenham chairman, had dealt with Harry Redknapp, the Portsmouth manager, had dealt on countless occasions on the day of the transfer with um, uh, uh, Defoe himself. And this was all detailed in phone records that had to be acquired through a high court application. And once the panel had these phone records, they then realised that there were potential breaches of the uh, of FIFA agent rules and the, and, the, and, the, and FA agent rules. And these rules are in place to protect the integrity, not just of football, but of the transfer market. They're very serious rules that have to be right. complied with. Because so in this instance, Matt, can you break down the potential breaches? So the potential breaches like, were... The, and the implication yeah, for the, the potential, The potential breaches were... Um, were um, uh, dealing with an unlicensed agent and, and, and on that day, as the phone record showed that they were all talking to the unlicensed agent. But also there was a further issue raised by the panel, which was that the agent that Tottenham did enlist, um, there was no evidence in the hearing that there was a formal representation contract in place. And you have to have one of those as well. So two potential breaches. When Luton Town, in the same year, were found to have paid agents without representation contracts, they received a 10-point deduction. When... Massimo Cellino at Leeds was found in 2017 to have dealt with an unlicensed agent. He was banned from football for a year, received a £250,000 fine, and the entire Leeds board had to go on an education course on how to deal with football intermediaries. So again, I want to emphasise, these are serious breaches. Now, at the end of such an arbitration, the arbitrators send the file to the FA. We don't believe that the FA did anything about this case. We don't believe that there were any charges issued or sanctions. Obviously, well, there weren't any sanctions. No one got punished for this, right? At the time, Jermaine Defoe was an England footballer. He played in the World Cup that summer. By the time this award was given in early 2010, the FA have confirmed that no 
action was taken. They also, based on the based on the statement they've given us, they they are not clear that they received all the relevant information, and and now what they are saying is is that if this if if the full detail of this case comes to light, which we are revealing in the Times now, then they will review the case. Okay, Matt. Um, Sky, welcome. Sky Andrew is with us this lunchtime. Um, top agent, of course, I've known you for years. You're in dispute with Jermaine Defoe. I understand, Sky, that you can't talk about the arbitration as such, and, and I fully get that. But um, you've worked for fo- in football, Sky. You're vastly experienced. You've worked in the game for well over 30 years. What would you have expected to have happened here following the arbitration hearing? They clearly didn't happen. Um, first and foremost, to actually take up an arbitration is is, is really difficult. And um, I'd like to think that the governing bodies will realise that it costs a lot of money to do it and some people just haven't got the money to do it. And that it has to be about getting the truth and having and having um, everything being fair for everybody involved, participants. Um, I can't speak about the arbitration, I and mean, it's and it's, it's so long so long ago. And you no, I understand. I and, understand and, and, and you haven't lived until you get a phone call from from Matt Lawton saying blah 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 because uh, this guy's like Martin Keown. He he just mind man marks you, and until he, I mean, he's even got me coming today. No, but people. So need carry to, on. What do you want to say this lunchtime, Sky? No, um, arbitrations need to be taken seriously. I mean, it's it's supposed to be a serious process where people get um, evidence and people get get to the truth. Um, once that happens, I think that um, the governing bodies then have to look at it and see uh, if there is anyone that's done anything wrong or anything like that. Because um, otherwise, what's the point of an arbitration? The whole point of it is to is to be a court of law outside the court of law and 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 a confidential process which comes to a conclusion. And once it comes to a conclusion, then it has to go to the next phase. Um, and what Matt tells me is that it, it, it didn't go to the next phase and, and the governing bodies, um, well, hmm. I can't say that they haven't done anything because I, I don't know that process, but it does seem that nothing's happened. So it all centres yeah. on the use of an unlicensed agent Yes, in the, this, in this yeah. instance. What are Tottenham saying to it? What are Portsmouth saying to it? They're both refusing to comment at the moment. They've declined to comment. You've Harry, spoken with Harry. You've spoken with. I've spoken with Jimmy. Harry. I've spoken with Harry Redknapp, who who did speak to Mitchell Thomas on the day of the, on the day of the transfer. Now he couldn't recall that, um, so obviously it was it was fifteen years ago. But in fairness to Harry, what he did acknowledge was that at the time he did think that Mitchell Thomas was Jermaine Defoe's agent. So if he because at the moment he, at the time when I spoke to him last week. He wasn't. He couldn't recall speaking to Thomas. He said, "I wasn't really involved in the deal." He did obviously meet Jermaine Defoe and his mum when they came down on the day, um, and was there when he had the medical. But I said, "No, no, no, there are phone records that show that you did speak to to Mitchell Thomas." So he said, "Well, to be fair, I would have thought he was his agent." So, you know, I would have, um, I, you know, then fair enough, kind of thing, because yeah. I did think Mitchell Thomas was his agent. But then I asked him. I said, "Well, okay." But did you were you then contacted by the FA to ask you about the fact that you had spoken to an unlicensed agent on the day of that transfer? And to his knowledge, he never had a call from the FA to say this. Because what we have to realise here, Jim, is that is that 
the jurisdiction of the panel in the arbitration was simply to, to determine, a, settle a dispute between yes. yeah. Jermaine Defoe and his agent at the time. Right. But once that happens, and it was interesting, I spoke to a, a, one of the top sports barristers in the country ahead of this story. We, you know, we took independent legal advice and all this stuff. Mm. And the point that they always make to a client is while these arbitrations are confidential, if you think a regulatory issue is going to emerge that the FA could then act on and charge, you are better off settling. Because if it comes out in this arbitration that you broke FA rules then the FA will charge you and you will not want that. So it's better not to go to arbitration. The fact of the matter is that file would have gone to the FA and at that point, the FA, in our view, should have taken, should have at least initiated an investigation into serious, potentially serious breaches of, of FA agent rules. So why didn't they? And had they done, what would that look like in punishment terms? At the moment, the FA can't explain why they didn't. Why? Because that because they, it, it seems apparent to me that they can't put their hands on the relevant documentation. That you know that it seems apparent to me that they don't. You know that the, the, there's detail that they're only now finding out. Now there are one or two people that were at the FA at the time, but a lot of people have changed. But they are still trying to determine what happened here and why it didn't progress. But what they have said in a statement to us is that if it now if if it now emerges that there is evidence of potential serious breaches they will look at it what? so they will what? look at it how retrospective can the fa be well this is this is if we look at the manchester city and chelsea cases you know we have we have we have the manchester city case the potential breaches go back to a similar period the chelsea cases are looking at two two transfers that happened in 2013 where you it's interesting where you wafer were limited in dealing with these clubs by their own statute of limitations. That doesn't apply in English football. So, so I, I don't think there's any reason why the FA can't go back here. Right, right. We're going to get Simon's take the other side of this upcoming break. Sky, yeah, you wanted to come in. What do you want to say just as we no, no, to the break? I was, I was going to say that you know, there's nothing wrong with, with telling players to honour their contract, which is what I've done from day one. I say to players, honour your contract. If you get offered something... And, and it's good, then you can take it. But I, I am fierce in um, representing clients. Um, but I don't know, maybe this arbitration came about because of that. But I, I just wanted to make the point that players um, should honour their contracts and then they should be penalised for honouring the contracts. Either way. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. We are looking at a developing story which has just broken in the Times, uh, the Times newspaper in this very building, the news building here at London Bridge. Uh, what does it centre on? It centres on uh, a two-year-long investigation carried out by the man opposite me, the highly respected Times chief sports correspondent Matt Lawton, alongside Matt this lunchtime in studio with Simon and myself, is a top agent, a man I've known for many years, 24 years plus in my time in London, Sky Andrew is with us. It all centres upon the alleged use of an unlicensed agent used in the transfer of uh, Jermaine Defoe back in 2008 from Tottenham to Portsmouth. Now, there are precedent punishments, if you like, here, which are relevant to mention at this uh, time for the use of said unlicensed agents uh, at Luton, at Leeds, 
which included points deductions, which included bans. But in this case, no punishment. The big question this lunchtime is, why? Why no punishment? Uh, Simon's alongside us. Matt has revealed that the FA will look to reopen the case back in 2008 and look to, to see what else can be brought to light. Um, the whole thing having been brought to light by the hard work and tenacity of Matt Lawton. Simon, what's your take on this? Well, I mean, first thing to say, there can be no surprise at any level of incompetence from the FA. So if the FA haven't done their job, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I would suggest that the framework of regulations in the mid to late 2000s and going into 2010, when the money really started to ramp up, became ridiculously uncoordinated. One minute you're representing one individual, next minute you'll be able to represent two. The more regulation was required, the less regulation was there because the industry was going through the ceiling economically. There seems to be three separate things at play here. There's the relationship that Sky has with Jermaine Defoe with a representation agreement, which is why the arbitration hearing happened in the first place, because Sky has a, a relationship with Jer Jerome. Jerome has a contractual obligation to Sky. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jermaine, sorry. Jermaine has a, a contractual obligation, so you have to, if Jermaine or whoever's around him decides to induce him away from that, Sky has every right to say, hang on a second, you have a contract with me. And that's what the arbitration hearing probably, did, presumably. probably uh, he has every right to do that. Yeah. Every right to do that. You don't sign a contract with somebody. He's making a case for, I, I encourage my players to honour their contracts to football clubs. Yeah. Then they should encourage them to honour their ob obligations what, what, to agents. What about the alleged use of an unlicensed agent? Well, okay, well, let me get to it. Right. And then you've got the situation where what Matt is alluding to is that as a result, of arbitration, it threw out something that arbitration is obliged to do, which is when you, get, when you get a regulatory issue, is to upsize it to the next level of interrogation. It doesn't surprise me that the FA may have missed that. And then you compare and contrast it to what's happening to Luton and Leeds. And you say to yourself, okay, who was the engaged agent when Tottenham and, and Portsmouth did this deal? Was he a licensed agent? Was the licensed agent on the paperwork? Was that a facade for the intellectual capital behind the deal, which the assertion is, is Mitchell Thomas, because he's the one that's making the phone calls to Peter Story or to, to Daniel Levy or whoever it is at Tottenham is dealing this particular deal. Yeah. And then you've got the, the comparison, which is why weren't potentially Tottenham and Portsmouth in the cart here for appearing to deal with an unauthorised agent, given that Luton and Leeds were... And then you say to yourself, well, did, were Luton and Leeds, did they sign a, 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 an engagement relationship with a licensed agent? Because if they did, and ultimately it was an authorised agent that did it, but my understanding of it is that Luton didn't sign an agreement. Well, no, L L the Luton case was simply that they paid, uh, eight, and it was only, it was, well, only, it was £160,000 yeah. in total to a number of agents um, uh, without representation contracts. Yeah. And that was that was their only offence here that led to a ten point deduction. So in the Spurs and Portsmouth mentality situation, where the Mitchell Thomas spectre looms, was there an engaged licensed agent on the paperwork? Yes, but without a represent, it appears without a representation contract. Right, and at this moment in time, do we know if monies were paid by Tottenham and or Portsmouth to said agents, and then so followed so, so, so the agent who appears not to have had a representation contract it, it emerged in the in the arbitration was paid a million quid right um he said that no money was then passed to mitchell thomas the unlicensed agent even mm -hmm. though the two of them had a pr prior business arrangement where they would any any work right. they did together they yeah. shared 50 50 but there was I mean, a license you're, you're in the game you're in football yeah. at that time simon operating at the you're top of the, the hotel uh, uh, palace I, I, did were you aware of the uh, of unlicensed agents operating within the game 
I'm aware of people that operate around the periphery of players that create influence. I didn't do it. I didn't buy it. was a bugger to get me to deal with agents full stop. So you're asking the wrong person whether I deal with an authorised and an unauthorised agent. Yeah. But I always dealt with agents that were regulated and governed. You've got to re- remember that the rules and regulations were a moving feast all the time. I'm not giving anybody a pass here. I'm not giving anybody any excuse. But there well, is. Was it on you as an owner to make sure they were licensed and governed? Well, yeah, because you're filling the paperwork to, to, to be able to achieve that outcome. Right, so you would know who's licensed and who's not. Well, of course. In the, the, but, the process of but, a deal. Of but, look, the, but the key point here, right, That's why no one is sanctions. saying at this stage that they are guilty of those breaches, right? Say again, we, Matt. No one is saying at this stage that anyone is guilty of breaches sure. of FA. You want to know why rules. process wasn't followed? Sure. But let's ask Sky now. Sky, were you interviewed after the arbitration by the FA about potential breaches? No. No, and um, well, there you go. Um, but why would he be? Because, because, because he's bought. He's bought an arbit- I'm sorry. Have I missed something? He bought an arbitration because through the High Court. He acquired the phone records that that, that were critical yeah, in I'm the a, final I'm decision. A, why would the FA ask Sky about license? Sky's a licensed agent that had a contract with. Because you might ask him. If the, if you might ask. You might ask him for the phone records. Yeah, I'm understanding that, but I'm, I'm trying to understand. Jermaine's case, uh, um, Sky's case mm. was, I want to determine an outcome of a contract that someone's yep. breached, and that's been determined. Yeah. So what you're then asking for is joined up thinking, which is that the FA should have been on this and gone, why don't we investigate whatever yes. else Sky yeah. may yeah. know, they're, given they're, the fact, given the fact yeah. he's got a breach of contract. Yeah. Within, the, yeah. the been within this arbitration, it, the conclusion should be that within this arbitration, it would appear there may have been breaches of... FA agent regulations. Yeah. Therefore, you would assume that once it's emerged that there are phone records that actually, in the view of the panel, say that this unlicensed agent was a central figure in the deal, you would you would then think mm. that the FA would interview everyone concerned. And you were including, not interviewed, Sky. Including speaking no, to the no, guy but, that had the phone records. Yeah. No, no, yeah. But, no mm. but I noticed that when I was saying about players honouring their contract, Simon had a little smirk. But the thing is, the, the, the truth of this matter is, is that players can't win. If players honour their contracts and the clubs want to keep them, then that's a problem. If players honour their contracts and and um, clubs want to sell them, and then so all I'm saying is, you know, let's just get it straight here. Agents, clubs, everybody should be happy if a player honours his contract. I wasn't, he, I wasn't smoking at that. I was smoking at the ridiculous assertion that you guys empathise with players honouring their contracts. When don't you say make, you guys. You, well, you guys, a lot of you in your fraternity. No, no, you no, make, no, no. You, you, you can't make your money for moves. You, you can't make a sweeping okay. generalisation. No, you can't. Don't I be, can. Don't be ridiculous. I, 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 perceive You're saying, I perceive you to be a homogenous group that all act no, that's and operate in the same ridiculous. way. Because the principles of how you make money, and everyone knows that's, it, is that you make money for moves. You are. No, no, no. You're absolutely wrong. You're absolutely wrong. I'll tell you why. Because you can't make a sweeping generalisation about a group of people who act differently. I'm telling you that I've told every single player I've ever represented to honour their contract. Sometimes the clubs might not be happy with that, especially if a player is honouring their contract and they've got a value attached to them, right? So Mm -hmm. you, you say a lot of good things... But what you've just said there is just absolutely ridiculous. You cannot make a sweeping generalisation well, about any because, group of because people. Because I've dealt with most of you, and but, I've seen most oh, of you, and you might be an exception. You've dealt Sky, with four thousand. Your reputation isn't as up there as you like, might like think to think it is. And ninety nine percent of agents, including the guys at the no, very don't top, get personal. Don't get personal. I'm not getting personal. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Making an observation. You saying you dealt with Sky directly. 
no. Well, 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 then, well then, no. that's just ridiculous but, but then, I, isn't but it? I, but, I, but I'm well aware of how the industry is held together. No. So I can make the sweeping statement. Have, have you dealt with 4,000 agents then? Is that what you're saying? No, I haven't. Well, but then I, don't but, say but statements like I've dealt with 99% of agents. I understand the agent fraternity very well and your modus operandi. And the way you make money is by engineering movies. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.